Welcome to Beer Me, normally recorded live at the Line Hotel in Adams, Morgan. This is your host, Sarah Jane, recording live at the festival. This is an annual show hosted by Shelton Brothers Importers. Shelton Brothers Importers was founded by three brothers in Massachusetts. They started importing beer from places like Belgium, Germany, the UK, Sweden, Italy, and the Netherlands. They started this festival in 2012 in Massachusetts, but they have moved the location every year ever since. Uh, For example, last year it was in Atlanta. This year it is in Denver. Part of the reason for having the festival in Denver this year is that Shelton Brothers is opening its own operation in Colorado. The festival is taking place at the Denver Rock Drill and will host 100 breweries, including mead and cider producers. Not only is the beer list impressive, but typically uh, the brewers and the owners are present for the event. In the words of Shelton Brothers Imports, you'd have to spend months and countless dollars for a chance to meet this many world-class brewers. I got a chance to speak with a couple today. Please enjoy. Kicking it off with Jamie from Fine Ales. There was no good beer around in Argyle at all. There was virtually nothing. Almost impossible to find a beer you actually wanted to drink. And so we farming's a tough game. So decided, well, let's let's try and um, do something a little bit different. So they started a little this little brewery just in the old dairy. Then when I, when Dad died, I got involved. Came over here to the states. I went to CBC in San Francisco. Went up around Northern California. Visited a lot of the great breweries there and just looked at what was happening here and got so excited about what the craft beer world was doing. Thought, well, hey, if you can do it over here in the States, why can't we do the same thing in Scotland? So, you know, we took it back and really turbocharged it. And, you know, back then we were doing maybe 1,000 hectolitres a year. We're now doing sort of 10,000 hectolitres a year. So wow. it's... Um, <laughs> yeah. And so the hops that you're using, are you still getting Pacific Northwest hops then? Uh, yeah, we get we get hops from sort of all over, but we are heavily um, influenced by America. So you know, we come over every year to Yakima to do the hop selection tour and um, really focus on the varieties that the big American varieties that we want. We do use some European hops for the more subtle um, flavours that we sometimes want in some of our beers, and then we love New Zealand hops as well. We work a lot with Nelson Sova um, from um, New Zealand. We love that hop too. So, I mean, right now the UK has been going through this really beautiful boom in craft beer. Yeah. But, you know, years ago when you started kind of changing tradition, yeah. I mean, you have this brewing tradition is yeah. is solid. And so when you kind of tried to mix it up, what was the response to that? Yeah, so I think, I think it's been really good. So I think the first thing is, you know... I'm, UK's got quite a deep beer culture, always has had, like, beer's always been quite central to how people go out of the night, so that's been really good for the industry, and we never had the clear-cut distinction between macro and craft that you have here, so, you know, we've always had, like, the really big guys like AB InBev, but then we've had these big old Victorian breweries as well, family-owned breweries been going for ages, but owned big pub estates, and maybe we're doing some, some indifferent beers, sometimes still are, sometimes I'm actually making some really good beers as well, so it's, it's a very varied beer scene. Um, I think we were lucky, in Scotland the beer scene was actually, I think in many ways, worse than it was in England, and so consumers were a little bit more hungry for something different, so as soon as we came out with sort of um, modern takes on traditional British beers, the Scottish consumers were really up for it, so um, that's, that's really worked well. But you know, when I started 10 years ago, it was all really about real ales. Um, you know, even at that stage, Brewdog was still basically producing for cask. Um, they just began their switch into keg. So the, the revolution was driven from sort of evolution of real ale first, and then, then along came really the pure sort of um, 
craft for experimentation. And now, like sour beers and everything, are really picking off. So that's why we were so pleased we just um, just converted our original brewery into a multi-culture brewery. Um, so that's where we start to play with Brett and things like that. And the UK market is so ready for really the whole spectrum now. Now there isn't a beer that you can make that you can't sell. <laughs> it's like everything. That's cool. so exciting. Yeah, no, it is. It's, um, there's a lot, lot of good things going on. And they, you know, it's an industry full of passionate people who are doing really interesting things. And that's what's great. That's what brings consumers more and more people into the category, which is what it's all about, ultimately. So I'm sitting here chatting with Christian from Wolves and People uh, out of Oregon, uh, one of my personal favorite breweries. I had the pleasure of visiting about a year ago. It is situated in the countryside, uh, very, very beautiful um, and very serene as far as breweries go, I would say. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good word for it, serene. We, we hope it's very serene when people visit. Sometimes it's a little more crazy. But uh, it's a little hazelnut farm, 21 miles southwest of Portland, where I grew up. And uh, we built the barn, uh, built the brewery inside a 100-year-old barn. And uh, so, yeah, have a little beer garden and a tasting room inside. And uh, we get visitors who are coming to the wine country, but also a lot of beer travelers and people coming out from Portland uh, who want to try our beer. And you have some winery neighbors, don't you? Some wine labels at the brewery? No, wine neighbors. Ah, we do, yeah. A to Z Wineworks and Rexhill Winery are next door to us. Also, Shehalem Winery is right across the highway. And uh, then within like a 10-mile radius, there's, there's probably about 30 wineries. Very excellent ones. Also, the brewery, uh, the barn, uh, once housed a winery called JK Carrier, an outstanding Pinot Noir winery uh, that uh, was very successful and moved on to a location up on Parrot Mountain nearby. So we get a lot of visitors who remember the winemaking that was going on, and we like to think that there's a fair amount of good like wine yeast in the rafters. So the thing that I love about this brewery is I got to hear about it when it was still just a dream, and now you're here at Shelton Fest in Denver pouring your beers, which are absolutely delicious. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what we're drinking? Yes, uh, you're tasting Devant right now, uh, which is uh, a French word that means ahead of or in front of. The idea with this beer is uh, beer de coupage. Beer de coupage is a blend of young and old saisons generally. Uh, it's farmhouse style in which uh, you're able to sort of freshen up a, uh, a young beer with uh, a sort of spike of old flavors. Um, in this case, a 10-month-old beer blended with a 2-month-old very fresh beer. Both uh, fermented 100% in oak punchins, which were used for Pinot Blanc. Uh, fermentations from a local winery called Anami. And we're great friends with those guys. Uh, the winemaker is a former home brewer. And so he comes to the brewery a lot. We collaborate a lot. So Devon, the one you're tasting is batch two of this blend series, uh, which we hope to continue. The other thing I like about the brewery is that you make such a great range of products. You're not stuck on one style. You're doing a lot of different things. And something that I was pretty tickled by is you make a beer during the wine harvest season for the harvesters, correct? We, we do. Yeah, Crush Pad. Uh, we brought this beer tonight. Um, there's a huge tradition of wine harvest workers coming to the valley to help make the vintage. Uh, they work tirelessly for, for weeks on end, come, you know, wind and rain. Uh, it's a really hard job. I've, I spent a few years doing vintages as well, and uh, you certainly need a lot of good beer to make the vintage and make the good wine happen. Uh, so... Uh, we wanted to have a beer that was like very light, very refreshing, low, low in alcohol, and in this case, 4.5%. 
and uh, just fresh and flowery and, 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 and fun. So we share it with our winemaking friends and then uh, we ended up we end up drinking it uh, as much as possible, actually. <laughs> so do you have anything kind of new and exciting coming up for the brewery? Wow, uh, yeah. I mean, we've been releasing new beers. The, the summer's a very busy time for us, so we brew a lot as we're serving a lot more. So we're packaging um, a whole bunch of new beers coming up. Uh, gin barrel age saisons. Uh, each each winter we do a truffle beer as well, which is fun with white truffles. Um, yes, I can get behind that in a big way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a crazy project. Um, we've been making all manner of beers. You know, speaking to the to the range of styles, we really enjoy you know coming up with uh, with new experiments a lot. We've uh, getting ready to make a beer with smoked black tea, um, and we you know, generally want to use ingredients from the area from our own farm and from the immediate vicinity. So the thing I'm most excited about right now is that we've been um, cultivating three new beehives on the farm and uh, we learned something from a brewer named Evan Watson of Plan B in New York, uh, which is how to grow wild yeast off of the honeycomb wax. And so we're growing wild yeast from this honeycomb and uh, planning to do some fermentations with that. And also, we planted barley on Thursday, so really, yeah, a couple, wow. yeah, just a couple rows, test rows of barley. We're working with Oregon State, and uh, it's going to lead to the eventual goal of making an estate beer, uh, where we can, uh, you know, the, the majority of, of the ingredients literally grown at the farm. So I have to circle back to the truffle beer. I'm <laughs> really intrigued by this. I know that each kind of produce item that you integrate into a beer reacts differently and you have to kind of work with it in a, in a different way. What are some maybe modifications or special things that you've had to do to accommodate truffles? Yeah, it was a mystery to know how to incorporate them. Um, there have been a, a handful of truffle beers made and frankly none, uh, you know, I, I think people would agree it's a very difficult thing to harness in beer. Uh, it's also a very dear ingredient, very precious. So we're lucky to be able to get whole white truffles from the Oregon Truffle Festival, which is a really cool group that brings in truffle hunters and uh, cultivators, truffle dogs, and experts, chefs from around the world for a few weeks every winter. Uh, so working with one of their um, you know, founding scientists and mycologists uh, behind the Truffle Festival, um, you know, we came up with this idea together to infuse hazelnuts um, which are fatty. Uh, of course, truffle truffles very um, faint and um, not necessarily so faint, uh, but strong aromas tend to bind well with fatty acids like butter uh, or hazelnuts. So uh, one day, I just had the aha moment of like, wait, we can we can age hazelnuts with ripe white truffles as they ripen and off gas, and then uh, age the beer on on the on the hazelnuts. So um, the first experiment worked well enough for us to bring it back now. It'll be year four. Here, so. so I'm sitting here chatting with JF from Duduciel in uh, Montreal, Canada. Um, it's great to meet you. Hey, nice to meet you. So what are you pouring today? Uh, today, well, we have our uh, big classic, our uh, Imperial Coffee style, the Peche Martel. We have the bourbon version, uh, which we're doing on way smaller scale than the regular one. Uh, so that's what's for the, the VIP session, mostly. And we also have, uh, it's an oak-aged raspberry sour wheat ale. Uh, so we age it uh, in breaded barrel for over a year, and then we blend it with uh, with a Belgian blonde that's been also aged in oak barrel. And uh, so you have some oaky bread character. Uh, the, the 
It's, it's not as fruit forward as some of our uh, other fruit beer. That's what's pretty uh, on, on, on the fruit side. Uh, this one is a bit uh, lower on the fruit characters, but uh, it's, it's uh, the bread. This is the more uh, place for the bread and the whole character. So uh, I am noticing that the craft beer scene in Montreal yeah. has really spiked as yeah, far as a lot of breweries opening up. Yeah. What what has it been? What has it been like for you? Uh, well, we we're running the brewery since 20 years, so for sure. Uh, when we opened, it was uh, there was already a couple of uh, brew pub and micro, and maybe we could see one or two opening a year. But now it's maybe five or ten. Uh, we're not a huge population; it's about like 10 million people. So. Uh, but most of the operations that's opening up are mid, small to mid-sized operations. So, uh, it's really cool. It's, it's a lot of people that actually uh, they, 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 some some of them are been my customer 20 years ago, and they they growing up decide to start their, their own project. Uh, also, what's nice is the uh, the diversity of the beer that that we do is, is cool. It's, everybody's doing his own thing uh, and basically also the brewery are spread out to the uh, all the, the Quebec territory well not the northern part because yeah. there's nobody there but uh, <laughs> we'll see uh, every area in the south has at least one two or three breweries so uh, even every mid-size or large city has at least two or three uh, breweries so that's pretty cool uh, so for sure on the shelf there's a bit more competition uh, but uh, but at the same time uh, the more brewery uh, there's uh, running their show, the, the more we talk about beer, so the more the people are going to uh, get involved in craft beer instead of the, the major beer. So uh, that's pretty cool. So it's, it's really quite similar from what I see when I travel in the U.S. And, uh... So I'm sitting here chatting with Tom at the Shelton Festival in Denver, Colorado. He's uh, come all the way here from uh, England. He's with Brew by Numbers. So we are coming up to six years old now, and um, we we like exploring um, and experimenting with lots of different beer styles and flavors. Um, so at the moment, we've done almost 350 um, different beers, and um, we uh, use a numbering system to catalog them. So we have uh, two sets of numbers that represent the style and um, to represent the recipe. So it gives us the, the freedom to play around with new things and um, come up with uh, new, uh, new beers quite quickly without needing to like, alter the label or redo the branding or come up with like, a, a cheesy beer pun. So, yeah. And so, like, just to give an example, and I'm, I'm very rusty with the actual numbers, but let's say you have a certain Saison that's O2, and you add something to that Saison like lime zest. So then that Saison is O2-14. And then if you add something different to that Saison, it'll still be O2-16. Am I doing this correctly? Um, yeah, I mean, that's where, yeah, that, that's kind of where it started from. So to, to move faster in the early days, because um, the scene in the UK was quite, uh, well, was very young when we started. And um, especially for you know, Belgium-influenced beers. So what we'd do is we'd take a batch of Saison and um, we'd brew it and then we'd split the batch into different parts and we'd do different processing to it. So it might be a different yeast, it might be adding, I don't know, cucumber or just something something a bit wacky. Um, and then, yeah, that so that's where the sort of numbering system was evolved from. 
Um, and then, yeah, so what we'd do is we'd, we'd pick the best version of that, then we'd rebrew it, and then we'd do different things again. So you think of it like branches on a tree, you start from a central point, and hopefully you sort of end up out on a branch somewhere where there's something that's fairly unique to what you're doing. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of um, spinning batches, we still do that a bit, especially trialling uh, different types of yeast and things in our pilot kit, so keeps it interesting. Very cool. Well, is there anything coming up on the horizon that you're excited about? Uh, there's so much stuff happening in the moment. Um, just, we go back, we fly back on Sunday evening and um, we've got a canning line arriving from ABE, so American canning line. Um, and uh, yeah, we're having our branding sort of altered a bit, where the new website being built. Um, I'm close to signing off on another site, another railway arch, um, which will be for barrel um, wild fermentations and taproom. Um, and that's been one amazing thing about this trip is we've uh, it's great to sort of come out and see like you know America's kind of maybe three to five years ahead of what we're doing in the UK so it's great to sort of come out and see what's going on here you know what sort of beers people are making what's interesting and taking inspiration from that and taking it back to the UK and maybe making our own interpretations of that and I mean for me the scene in the UK as far as craft beer scene goes is just incredibly impressive do you have a similar kind of relationship that American brewers have with collaboration yeah sure um yeah, we do, we do lots of collabs, um, not only with different breweries, but done some with like restaurants, um, other producers that we work with, other just other people in the area. So the place where our brewery is, just in um, near Tarbridge in London, there's a lot of other food and drinks producers that we we work with, and um, yeah, things are shared. You know, it's it's a great it's a great environment. Um, but yeah, it's good. So, I mean, I, I came over and did a brew with um, Wild Works up in Greenlee, which I really enjoyed. And um, Dave was out in uh, Portland, Oregon, um, doing a collab with Song. So, yeah, it's uh, just really an experience to come and see what people are up to, how they're doing things. And, yeah, just get together, have a bit of fun, make, a, make an interesting beer, try and pull your, like, talents to make something that's kind of unique and interesting for the consumer. And speaking to the consumer, I mean, beer drinkers in the UK have been, you know, incredibly spoiled with what they've had. Um, are you noticing that, you know, in America right now, there's the trend of New England style IPAs, double IPAs, something really big, something really juicy, um, also gozos with all kinds of fruit. Is this a similar want for the craft beer market in the UK or are people still uh, satisfied with more subtle flavors? People are still a bit, um, I suppose, they're still into their pails. Um, wild beers, um, mixed fermentation beers, it's still quite a young market. It's quite a niche market. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is, there's some real strong like cultural differences. Um, it's definitely more of a pursuit of bigger beers, richer beers here. Um, in the UK, we, we tend to make like things that are slightly lighter, um, working on um, you know, beers being like this Belgian term, beers being digestible, being quite light, not too much sugar. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit different, a bit of a different drinking culture. Um, 
people in the UK love going to places to drink beer, but they generally don't go and buy like slabs of beer to take away with them. So yeah, it is a bit different. Um, I'm not sure if it will end up like this. Um, it's definitely like a real enthusiasm for beer in America. Like, I've not really seen anywhere else. So especially for some of the new New England styles and things, you know. We go big or we go home. That's it, yeah, exactly. Chatting with Ashley from the two-meter-tall company. Oh, I'll tell you what. We'll do this one here with Tasmanian Wild Ale, which we've just landed with the Shelton Brothers, uh, who are distributing it, as I'm learning, all over America. Uh, so we've landed some kegs and bottles. Now, uh, if I was to pick one ale, it'd be this, the Tasmanian Wild Ale. And it's just what the Europeans would have referred to as a bière de table, just, just a drinking beer. The major difference is that because it's a product of farm growing and wild fermentation, it probably doesn't taste like most of the beers you've had. This is beer with acidity. Uh, you may have heard of the term probiotics because it's been fermented with all sorts of yeast and wild yeast and bacteria. I don't think I'm allowed to say this by law, but it's probably got some health benefits for you. Uh, very good for digestion and just a really good thing to eat with food. And let's face it, you shouldn't be drinking unless you're eating. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, that's, they're one and the same thing. So it's all about eating well and drinking well. And that's where, for me, wild fermentation is so important because it is really good. It's not about getting drunk. It's about drinking lovely flavoured uh, beverages with the food and it all works well and then you can go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> so are you using a cool chef? I was just actually talking about that with uh, Jean uh, from uh, Cancion. No, I don't. I just work in a specific way uh, with open fermenters and open lid tanks uh, and venturis and oak barrels so I have no problems. I've got a my uh, brewery is in an old shearing shed, so there's holes in the wall. The air is coming in all over time. So no, okay. um, that's that's ve- that idea of cool ships is very much of the lambic tradition in Belgium, yes. and we couldn't be further away from the lambic tradition in Belgium and Tasmania. So I feel no need to follow that at all. Yeah. We're just doing our own thing. Good. No, I like that a lot. Tasmanian farmhouse ales. <laughs> Nothing to do with Belgium. <laughs> Is that the, that's the official catchphrase? Well, uh, people say, what style do you make? And I say, well, we, we don't make a style of beer. We make a beer on our farm. And I suppose that ends up being a style. Because you can only make our beer on our farm. True. If a neighbour makes the same thing, if a neighbour makes the same thing, then basically... And, and do you know what? Uh, beer will get to that place because the wine I come from the wine world and people travel around the world visiting farms and farmers who are growing grapes and making a beverage and it's really exciting too much beer is made in factories beer is the original alcoholic beverage so I suppose what we're doing whilst it might be new in modern markets is probably the oldest occupation or one of the oldest (laughs) occupations uh, on the world. It's just farming and drinking and eating and living well. Oh, well, it sounds delightful. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me in Denver. <laughs> Hi, I'm Thilo Jenischen from Rittergutzgoze from Germany. Goza is a style that has been sweeping the U.S., um, but this is the original 
um, original one, correct? Yes, right. This is uh, nowadays the oldest Gose brand in the world. Uh, it's from uh, 1824, but the Gose style is much older. It's uh, nearly 1,000 years old and maybe the oldest Gose, uh, German Gose style. So I actually want to talk a little bit about the bottle, uh, that the, the traditional bottle that the beer bottle comes shape, in. Yeah. yeah, so the bottle is very bulbous on the bottom and then it's a very thin, long neck. Uh, yeah. Why is that? Yes, uh, this was common in Leipzig uh, until um, the World War II and um, the Gose was uh, sent from the brewery uh, to the Gose pubs. We had 80 Gose pubs in Leipzig in wooden barrels and there they, they bottled it in this uh, typical uh, Gose bottles. Uh, the reason is um, the yeast uh, collected in the long neck and closed the bottle. The bottles were not closed. Only the yeast closed the, the bottles. Yeah. And you have, uh, of course, you make the classic style, but you also experiment a little bit, yes? Yes, yes. Uh, for, for all the years uh, that, that the brewery existed, uh, we had only uh, the original Gose, and once a year there the, um, was a Merzen Gose. And we uh, developed uh, some new beers. Uh, in 2016, we started with a, um, a Gose Bock. The name is Bärentöter, that means Bear Slayer. A strong name for strong beer, it has 6.6%. And uh, from this year, we have a new one, Urgose um, Merzen. And uh, this should be a new creation or variation of the old Merzen Gose. And uh, at the end of the year, we will come with uh, another new beer, a more hoppy beer with uh, bergamot, uh, peel, and so on. And um, the base is always um, barley wheat, coriander salt, and uh, then we, we add some uh, other malts, uh, different salts. Uh, here we use the smoked salt, for instance, and, and a special uh, spice. And so we, we will have next year five different beers. Okay. Yeah. So what are you pouring today? Today, today the original for sure. Uh, the Berntöder Gosebock and the new Urgose Märzen. Okay, nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Talking with Sebastian Sauer of Freigeist Beer Culture. Coming from such a strict brewing tradition, what inspired you to kind of uh, experiment? Um, I, I, I was lucky enough to, through coincidences, kind of discovering the diversity of special beers um, rather quickly, rather early. So I was like, um, with 17, was just like, I'm, I'm very close to the border triangle, as I said. So it's just like, okay, Germany growing up, knowing all of these classic German styles, uh, or some of them already starting discovering with like legal drinking age 16. So like one year, I'm like, oh, hey, taste this, taste that. And it's like all rather similar, especially in that area. And uh, so some of the uh, travels went like, okay, going to Belgium was like completely different beers, Netherlands, completely different beers. So it was just like exciting to experience all of that. And then uh, also going to beer festivals and then meeting a lot of international people, Americans coming over, bringing Great Divide, Yeti, uh, Scandinavian people bring a lot of different beers over. And it was just like, wow, that's like totally different and that was just like kind of the trigger for me to uh, start thinking about beer in a different way and then obviously kind of like uh, in involving or introducing a German view, a German perspective on brewing like a lot of tradition based beers but just with a modern twist a lot of times. Okay and you've done hundreds of collaborations I would say at this point. Yeah it's quite a few. 
Do you have any coming up that you're particularly excited about? Um, yeah, I was uh, brewing recently with uh, two brewing projects from Germany, good friends. We made a truffle beer, which I'm curious how that will turn out. And uh, we made a banana Weizenbock with some with a Russian brewery. So that's pretty pretty interesting. It's like banana overkill, like Weizenbock, Estri, banana flavors, and then real banana. So. And this is in Russia? No, in Germany. In Germany, okay. I gotcha. Yeah. But so you've, you've traveled and brewed all over the world. Um, and you've seen the beer world kind of morph and change in different countries. Is there a particular country right now that you think people should make more of an effort to explore their beer scene? Maybe one that's a little overlooked? Um, I think there's like, in, 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 a, in a general perspective, it's just like there's so much influence in the whole world from the U.S., it's kind of like the whole U.S. scene started that whole subject. And so you kind of see all of that going over in other places as well. You know, I mean, in Germany, it's very, very uh, slowly uh, developed. So we are like, I don't know. I mean, it's not a direct comparison. It's not like, oh, in 10 years, uh, everything in Germany will be the same like anywhere else or like in the U.S. or something. But we are still so many years behind even our, most of our neighbor, neighboring countries. And uh, but still, there would be like the influence of the U.S. Like, oh, hazy IPAs right now, or something else, you know, stuff like that. And you would see the same in Russia, in Brazil, in all of these completely different places. And um, so, I, I think that's a little bit where, like, okay, that's a normal thing to go. But I, I'm, I'm happy to see a huge focus on uh, lager beer in the whole world right now. I mean, there's a, a lot of development in the U.S., for example. And the qualities just get uh, really way better, and it's like what keeps people excited to have like beer you can actually enjoy and drinking quite a bit of it, and just like kind of getting it more out of the niche because this whole like crazy IPAs, crazy barrel aged beers, it's it's just like for a small amount of people actually, and there's others like we can actually introduce way more people to just like a better quality beer. Thank you so much. You're very really welcome. So I'm sitting here chatting with Joel of Shelton Brothers. Um, Shelton Brothers is launching a, or has launched a pretty exciting uh, new endeavor, um, Insider Tours. Joel, you want to tell us a little bit about what that is? Yes, basically we've been importers for 20 years and thoroughly enjoyed the travel that's involved when we go to meet brewers, uh, be reacquainted with brewers, look for new beers and all the, all these things. and. Eventually we decided, well, let's do something else and let's show other people our experience. Uh, rather than just bringing the beers back to them, let's bring them over to where the beers are created and see what's inspiring to us. So what are, what are some places that you... Have you already started doing the tours? We've done a tour in Franconia, which is northern Bavaria, uh, centered around the city of Bamberg, which is a famous beer town. And uh, my brother and I have been going there every year for, for a long time anyway. And uh, we decided to start bringing bigger groups. And we did that for the first time, uh, sort of partly uh, in 2016. And for real, we did it this year in 2017. We brought an actual tour. So that was a little scary, but we got through it pretty well. And, and Bamberg is known for Rausch beer, but there's a pretty decent... Uh, Pilsner tradition as well. Yeah, it's known for the rock beer. It's the, it's the place where the, the style survived, and now it, you see it everywhere, but it's the place where it survived in the world. Um, the, 
the breweries there do make, some of them make rock beer, some of them don't. They make every style, a lot of Pilsner, a lot of Keller beer, Hellas, all these kind of things. But it's just a beautiful city and it's really a beer capital. So how long are these trips typically? Um, they're developing still. The, the uh, German one is going to be about seven days. We're, we're tweaking it as we go. We're going to do a France and Belgium borderline tour kind of thing for about five days, which allows people to go visit other places before and after. And we're planning a, a, a tour of Barcelona and around there for about six days. And finally, a tour of London and all the other historical cities uh, in England for about six days as well. This is Josh from Savisuria Campina Hercules. It's been great to see the, the scene grow. Right now we're still at the stage where you see like uh, everybody that's in the scene, everybody that's in uh, working for a brewery or, or distributor or, or beer bar, no one's rich, so everyone's in it for the right reasons. It hasn't grown up or blown up yet, so it's kind of like if you meet someone, like they're not just like uh, trying to find some money in the, in the and start their own brewery really quick and make a, a few hundred million dollars. Now it's it's a much slower and much more organic thing right now. I would equate it to like going back in a time machine, like 15, 20 years, and that's that's the type of people you're going to meet. Uh, not saying there's still not awesome people in the U.S. because there is, but yeah, it's it's been diluted a little bit there too. But I would say uh, the the average Mexican craft beer fan is kind of new to it still, still learning a lot. You're still uh, they're still like uh, figuring out what they are, trying to find their identity. But I think um, man, it's it's going to be a force to reckon with here in the next coming years. And what are some trends that you're seeing as far as the craft beer scene? Are, are you kind of embracing what's popular locally or are you embracing more what's popular in the U.S.? I think most Mexican breweries and, and, and beer fans in Mexico, are really, they, yeah, they do really look to the U.S. They really look to Europe for inspiration or for, uh, for kind of like ideas. But also, like as as people become more experienced, like you said, they're uh, you're uh, starting to see these uh, these kind of like organic styles that come out. Like, hey, you know, like for instance, we do a lot of uh, work with like local raw corn, and we take like uh, any raw materials we can find locally. We we try to use them. Uh, I think you're seeing a lot more of that happen. Like like as opposed to like, hey, let's just make like a New England IPA every time. Like people are trying to find their own identity in Mexico, which. I think is really cool. You have a lot of U.S. breweries taking ideas from the Mexican culture, from Mexican culinary culture, um, and obviously all the Mexican lager craze that's gone on. But I think the Mexicans are um, are trying to find something a little different and find their own little niche. Nice. Um, and you, I mean, you have access to some of the greatest corn in the world, really. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think you have, like, uh, so many different types, variables, uh, to use in the process regarding corn um, in the brewing process you know you it's not like uh, in the u.s when you're working in a brewery and typically you just have this uh pre-gelatinized uh flake corn or something like that like you have uh, literally blue corn green corn uh, you have uh flake corn you have uh just real actual raw corn that you have to mill and you have to process you have to do a cereal mash on i think uh the what I'm getting to is like the possibilities and flavors you can derive from those, like are, are like stupid. It's endless. So it's a it's a pretty cool pretty cool uh, ingredient to have. But that's just one one of the many that that, that are grown down there to mess with. We're still uh, just just scratching the surface on on what we can find locally. So well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Awesome. Cheers.
So I'm sitting here chatting with Raphael from Twaram. Uh, and your brewery is named for your wife and daughters? Yes, uh, one, uh, my wife and two daughters, so three, three dams at home. So something that I really love about your beer um, is that you really embrace a lot of wine, a lot of grapes, yeah, a lot so of barrel aging. Yeah, we have been trying to, uh, to blend uh, uh, some, uh, some beer with uh, different um, uh, types of uh, grapes. We have used Chasla, which is the original Swiss uh, uh, type of, uh, of grapes. Uh, and uh, this gives a very dry white wine we use to uh, pair with fondue or with uh, f uh, cheese specialties. And this works really well with, uh, with, uh, with the beer. So I have this, uh, it's called the fiancé because it's a kind of a mariage between uh, uh, the grapes and the barley and the wheat. You all have been open for many, many years. So I've started myself to, uh, as a home brewer back in 2001. And uh, then I uh, scaled up uh, with a small spring equipment for a few years. And I started uh, then professionally in 2008. And then with sours in 2009, 2010. And how have you have you seen the craft beer scene morph a little bit in Switzerland? Uh, yes, of course. Since, uh, in, since uh, the beginning, uh, there were only a few breweries, and um, most of the German-speaking uh, Swiss-speaking breweries they were doing German-type beers. Uh, I think we were on, one of the first who were, we were interested in uh, English-inspired, uh, North American-inspired beers. So we introduced the IPA, the Pelades, and all the stouts to the Swiss market. And then, in the meantime, now uh, when you look, look at the picture of all the breweries, so most of them they actually make uh, this kind of beer. This, these are the beer that have become very popular in Switzerland. Uh, uh, locally, people are, are not accustomed to drink beer with food. So we have done some uh, some special evenings to go try to pair, you know, food and and beer. I think uh, here in America, people are, are much more uh, more, more uh, educated of, uh, using uh, drinking beer with food. So I'm chatting here with Nino uh, from Durank out of Belgium. We are located uh, like half an hour from Ghent, uh, one hour from Brussels. But uh, Belgium is a tiny country, so uh, it's all near. So for listeners who maybe aren't too familiar with your beer, you do a really beautiful range of beer. Um, both from more kind of hop-driven to also the more sour beers. Do you want to tell them a little bit about the brewery? Uh, the brewery has been found by two guys who just like bitter beers. And we were see seeing all these bitter beers disappearing in the 80s. And that's why, why we started the brewery, because we wanted to bring back the, the bitterness in the beer. And we have chosen to have uh, only local hops. And then uh, we, we, we can find it at half an hour from the brewery. So what we make is 100% whole hops, whole hop flowers no pellets or extract so that makes the difference I think we have uh, high bitterness beers but because of the flowers the, the bitterness is softer is more elegant more uh, gentle more noble and that's where, where you can make the difference and the whole brewery is made for that is built for that it's uh, custom made for, to work whole hops only when we started we were 120 breweries and some some older ones were disappearing so new ones were coming but it was uh, like five breweries in a year, new and, and, and all disappearing. No, uh, suddenly in five years we came from 120 to 250 breweries and then 
250 guys that make beer in another brewery. So that's like 500 breweries that on the, on this small market with only 10, 11 million people. You've had an opportunity to try some of the beers here and uh, try some beers around in the U.S. Are there particular styles that uh, you've tried in the U.S. that you don't see quite as often in Belgium that you really enjoy? Yeah, of course, the, the New England Palel is very typical for the U.S. And it's, uh, for me, it's first time I saw it, it was very strange to, to see that. It was yeah, very like, hazy. Yeah, it was like non-fermented beer. And, and, but little by little, we, we, I grew in it, for, to, to tasting it. But you have so many variety in the U.S. And, and that's thanks, because you have no tradition, you can do whatever you want. And that's, on one, one sometimes it's, it's bad, but sometimes it's very good. So I've seen some very nice breweries here, very nice beers here, uh, like... For example, one good example is the Big Island Brewery from, from Hawaii who has impressed me by something very special but was d done so well that it really impressed me. It is very well done. Yeah, and nice what was beer. that? It was the, the beer with cocoa nips from, from Big, Big Island Brewing, Hawaii. Oh. So I'm chatting with Mark here from Burning Sky out of England. Mark, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me. Oh, thank you. Uh, so how has Shelton Fest been for you so far? Uh, it's fantastic. It's been a real pleasure for us to be out here. You know, the first time we've physically poured our beers in the state, so quite an honour. And especially because of some of the feedback we've had has been quite un overwhelming. So we're in the southeast of England in the county of Sussex, which is like just directly south of London. Uh, we do a lot of clean fermentation beers, but then we do a lot of mixed fermentation and spontaneously fermented beers. Uh, in our sort of cool ship program so we're equally split between clean and uh, barrel aged beers yeah, at the moment we've got tens of thousands of litres tied up in oak so the, the uh, clean beers pay for the, the slow beers and the slow beers keep the interest in the clean beers Hi, my name is Yazin I'm the you want my full name Yazin Karachi um, I'm the uh, founder and owner of Kerry uh, Calabrian Company Jordan's first and only craft brewery so you're the first and only craft brewery in Jordan. That's true. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So what is that like? Um, it's challenging uh, to sum it up, I guess, in one line. Um, there's uh, a lot of challenges being the first one to um, do anything um, um, when it comes to regulation with the government, when it comes to uh, educating people about the craft beer industry, um, and even just simple things like the vocabulary um, like when you say malt body or hoppiness or uh, crap brewery or uh, all these words that we have in English sometimes we take it for granted but in Arabic I actually had to come up with words to use, to say those words in, in Arabic uh, to create the vocabulary for it really? Uh, can you give me an example? Uh, for instance um, brewer um, uh, or brewery or uh, like we know beer but in Arabic but we don't know what a the title as a brewer in Arabic is so I uh, kind of um, used um, so you get bread from a bakery from a baker so uh, you get meat from a butcher from uh, the, the from the, the, the meat market or the butchery so it's a kind of the same thing with the I use that kind of trail of thought when I was trying to kind of create the words uh, beer from a brewer from a brewery so bira from mabira bayar uh, so those are kind of like the, the, the sequence of the, the, of the way I've created the, the words, uh, so to speak. All right, that is very challenging. Um, I mean, vocabulary is one thing, but then um, it's like importing raw ingredients, for instance. Uh, hops in Arabic is hashish to dinar. So when we bring in hops to the country, the narcotics agency grows and takes it. And uh, 
confiscates it for two months and then gives it back to us. And so there are challenging, a lot of challenging things um, that we uh, we we continue to, to get. And like the regulation in, in the country is more oriented to mass production, big breweries, for instance. With taxation, they ask us, how much water do you add prior to packaging? We're like, we don't practice high-gravity brewing. We're a crab brewery. And so uh, there are a lot of challenges that we face and uh, some more annoying than others, but it's part of the adventure. And uh, at this point, I'm kind of like just numb to it and I'm, um, I'm more happy about the, um, the, the the things that we have created in the last few years. Like when I go out to bars in Jordan now, I see uh, millennials, uh, which are 70% of the population in Jordan, uh, talk about, but, uh, have you tried the blonde? Have you tried the ESB? Um, and have you tried their IPA? They're saying different styles of beer. Not once did they mention our name of our brewery. So that's uh, the beer culture that was part of our uh, ethos uh, as our brewery wanted in the beginning to, to create in our country and so um, it's, uh, there's a lot of cool things that come with challenges and that's part of it and I, I got my beer roots in Colorado I used to be a CU Boulder undergrad and for us to pour beer in Colorado I just seeing where I like where I started and years and years afterwards it's been like 12 years now and I'm pouring beer in Colorado I've never dreamed of uh, closing up that uh, cycle so it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing uh, humbling experience to, to be out here today that's wonderful and so you're doing a lot of different kinds of styles then that's true um, we're uh, using a lot of indigenous ingredients from the Middle East to showcase uh, our culture uh, now part of our ethos in the States is to kind of reintroduce the Middle East uh, to people through craft beer which is a very cool uh, neutral platform uh, fun platform so so what are some ingredients that maybe are not as familiar familiar to U.S. brewers that you would use in Jordan? Uh, so uh, for today, we're, we're, uh, we have our imperial styles that showcase Mejdul dates, uh, historically and one of the oldest trees and most flavorful um, uh, dates in the world is out of the Middle East. So we're using a lot of the, the, the Mejdul dates in our imperial styles and pure red ale really showcases and highlights dates in it and we have uh, our black camel spider which is a imperial porter brew with dates and uh, then cold condition with bedouin coffee which is uh espresso beans roasted with green part cardamom uh we have uh, our first collaboration that we did with american brewery called dead serious which is a goza style beer a one sixteenth german style of beer it's a wheat based salty we use dead sea salt in that recipe coriander seeds from lebanon and pink grapefruit from the jordan valley uh, we actually sourced out our pink grapefruit from a very sustainable farm that has the Jordan River wrapping, wrapped around the, that, that farm. It's super hot. It's in the Jordan Valley. It's the lowest point on Earth, so it's extremely hot. Plus, there's this cold drift of air that comes to this specific plot of land from the Mediterranean Sea, so it creates a subtropical environment there. The produce that come out of the trees there are very low in yield, but they're very fragrant and flavorful. Omar Halabi has an amazing sustainable farm there. He, uh, he's kind of off the grid. It's powered off by sun. He has his own irrigation system that's very water efficient from the wells that he has in his fields there. So we love collaborating with with our local farms um, in Jordan. So it's kind of part of what we're doing. We also did a Zatar Sizan uh, collaboration that we did with Against the Grain, a Middle Eastern IPA using dates and goat lactose and wheats and oat and rye and tropical hops. Uh, that beer we brewed at the Against the Grain uh, facility in uh, Louisville, Kentucky with Jerry Nargi, an amazing human being, uh, as are the Wilderness Boys that we brewed the Dead Series collaboration with. So it's been awesome. Um, I love the industry that we're in, very hospitable, very welcoming. Um, be very proud to be a part of that. Um, it's definitely a community. 
It is. It's a good one too. I think the, there's a lot to learn from our industry that maybe other corporations could learn and how to be more cooperative and welcoming and hospitable. I think there's a, a lot that we can that I'm I've learned and I, I hope that it transcends to other industries. It's, uh, it's it's good to collaborate. It's good to be. Uh, there are benefits to to. to the human beings interacting in a very positive way together so without a lot of animosity and like this is my market like it's very open and welcoming it's awesome it's really cool well that's beautiful thank you so much for taking the time thank you so much and this has been Shelton Fest <laughs>